the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham filling in for Seth Leaps, and we're in the drive time. So hopefully on your way home and able to get back with your family, have a fantastic evening, enjoy the, the night. It's not so crispy hot tonight. And be able to maybe turn off some of the news once you get home and just try to relax and, and catch up on the things that are most important. Going into the last couple of hours, we've been talking about what's been happening with this notion of the Inflation Reduction Act. And we've been talking about this whole unification of the conservatives and how we have to work hard to have the best possible outcome. And being educated, understanding the different policy points and really where they're coming from and how everything's tied together, whether it's this, this raid on Donald Trump's home. You see what's happening with the IRS. You see the impact points on the inflation, the cost of fuel, the cost of food, this embellishment, to say it lightly, of what's really happening with the consumer price index and what's happening to us as we're doing what we can to have the best outcome. And then now to think about what's going on with the IRS. Now, I teased you a little bit about the IRS. If you were listening last hour, we're talking about the IRS and what's happening. Now, look, simply put, on one hand, on the right, and I would say conservatives, people that ought to understand entrepreneurialism, they understand the value of being creative, uh, taking risk, and being rewarded for their risk. Again, there's so many times that the left will shun people or say, man, that guy makes too much money. He shouldn't make that much money. Well, he didn't have anything. I have a good buddy of mine that came here to the United States years ago. He had nothing. He had like $1,500. Now he's got a thriving business. He employs multiple people. He's influenced thousands and thousands of people with his product and service. And he's made it part of the American dream. He, he, he migrated here from Brazil, did it all the right way, had great outcomes. And who am I to tell him he's making too much money? It's crazy. I mean, a lot of people would love to have the lifestyle that he has. But the reality is he did it. Not anybody else. He did it. He did it in an environment that's helping people. Again, if it's if it's the CEO of some major organization that's grossing tons of dough, look at the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that may work for that person. You think they're okay? You start looking at not only are they okay, but then you start looking at their family's welfare, maybe the benefits they have, and so on. So again, capital entrepreneurialism, risk leads to independence and freedom. Now, if you don't have it in you to be creative and innovative, if you can't solve things with trying to inspire people around something that I would call sustainable product or service, then what are you going to do if you're a lawmaker? You look at the revenue-generating aspects of government, and what are they? Taxation. So they want to pay for all the stimulus. They want to put a whole bunch of people to work for the IRS. They want to do this, that, and the other and give you more subsidies and stuff. I just look at, like, even the Affordable Health Care Act. They're starting to talk about adding to the subsidies there. It is getting crazy. When you start looking at it, how do they do that? They have to skin the back of us, the American people. Think about it this way. 
if we stood in a circle and I had 10 dimes in my pocket, okay, and you sell me a good or service and I and um, or what have you, I purchase it from you, I, I'm going to take some of the money and I'm going to plop it in your pocket. But along the way, there's a tax that's in there, okay? So then that person buys a good and service and he hands off the next whatever the remainder is and so on, this continues around. Well, in theory... If you had this cycle, like this product cycle theory, you have all these things that are kind of happening where things kind of evolve around. <clears throat> Without taxation, you might just perpetuate that revenue around and it moves. But when you add taxation to it, it comes out and it never finds its way back, right? And so you have a reduction of the size of the economy. So in order to really make an economy grow, you have to get people from around the world to buy your goods and services. And you've got to keep them attractive and you've got to keep them competitive. and You've got to keep them priced, right, or what have you. So taxes are a way to create walls of consumption. If it's more expensive for me to buy a good and service from the U.S., then somebody might change their behavior and start spending it in like China, India, Vietnam, maybe in Canada. Who knows? Mexico. They're going to migrate their spending because they're going to save a few bucks here and there, which is going to affect the bottom line. So we see this kind of roll through as it happens. Well, this, this tax reform that's coming, this Inflation Reduction Act and the spending bill that, that is coming along here has clean energy incentives, health care policies such as extension of health, uh, affordable health care subsidies, additional hiring for the Internal Revenue Service, which I'm going to touch on big time right now, and new corporate taxes. Again, if you tax corporations, guess what happens? They're going to migrate their behavior. Remember how Trump fought to repatriate money back into the U.S. from overseas? They didn't bring it back from the overseas before Trump because it was going to get hammered with taxes. So that money stayed over there, built infrastructure, kept people hired, whatever. They didn't bring it back in the U.S. until it was repatriated. Then it was repatriated. We got some revenue from it, but we didn't get what Obama was trying to do and some of the, the presidents before. He did it because it was the best thing to do to kind of develop and grow our economy. So he saw it, okay? Let's talk about these IRS agents. When you have IRS agents, you hire IRS agents, that means you need people to look at more stuff, right? I mean, because really, what are they doing? They're going to look at your tax returns. They're going to see if if you're doing things right. They're complicated as it is. They will have alerts. You hear about red flags and things like that that stand out for different agents. They're going to have more people to process faster. On one hand, maybe the service will improve. On the other hand, it's scary because of the type of agents that they're bringing. Now, look, if I have a let's say a school, an event, a business that that uh, somehow is controversial and may cause violence or things like that, then guess what I do? I go and hire security guards, right? Or maybe I'll ask for police officers to come and patrol more frequently or what have you. But if I have a volatile service or system, you may need some kind of protection as you get there. Why in the world does the IRS put a job posting? Check this out. They're calling the, the, the new special agents criminal investigation special agents. So these people are going to deal with people that have maybe there's some red flag on their taxes. Now remember, there's 87,000 people that they're going to be hiring to help facilitate a lot of this stuff. And it says a key requirement. This is on the IRS's website. A key requirement for applicants is that they have to be able to legally allow to carry a firearm. When I saw that, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Why does an IRS agent need to carry a firearm? Okay. Then it says, and major duties include carry a firearm and be willing to use deadly force if necessary and, quote, be willing and able to participate in arrests, execution of search warrants, and other dangerous assignments. 
There's further information where they talk about they have to have flexible schedules 24-7 on call. They have to be willing to work 50-plus hours a week. Okay, so think about what we're getting here, okay? So you're getting a, a little team of mercenaries or what have you that are coming into this space, and they're going to change the culture. They're going to disrupt the culture, not just of the IRS, but of the United States of America. When you have those kind of people knocking on your door, and they're telling them to be armed— well, how aggressive do you think they might be with you? Okay, so under Obama, just to give you a feel for how aggressive they can be and the impact points they can have, well, dear friends and clients of mine, I got a call one day of the IRS, and they had this program, This it was like an IRS research survey that they called it, okay? And they would randomly select 1,300 families in the U.S., and they would call them and say, hey, we're we're doing this research survey. So my friend and client who just graduated medical school is practicing past the bar practicing three days a week her husband just passed the bar on his law degree and he was a recovering addict great life the two of them they have three kids they're cranking through life doing the best they can and now they're off to the races and they're starting to earn some real money and they're starting to pay back their debt from school and all this stuff happens they get a phone call his IRS agent, blah, 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 and I'm calling to do this research survey. Well, when you hear a survey over the phone, most of us will say, thank you, but no thank you, and hang up, right? So she did that. Calls back. Hey, this is the IRS research. You really you need to take the survey. No, no, no. I don't have time for this. I've got three kids. I've got to get to work. Da, 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 da. I'm hang up. Say, so hang up again. Guy gets on the phone. He's really aggressive, calls back, and says, listen, I am an IRS agent. You have to do this survey. You have to. You must. He starts to define it to her, and she says, this sounds like an audit to me. And he goes, well, it's not an audit. It's a research survey that I have to do with you. She goes, but what you just defined to me. Now, remember, she's a physician, okay? So she's got a few brain cells up there that are fully functional. Her husband is a dynamic, productive attorney, okay? New attorney, but doing very, very well. And they say, listen, this sounds like an audit. And finally, this agent says, well, basically, it is an audit, and you have to go through this. Now, so they start this process with this agent. Now, this is one of the most invasive audits slash survey slash research thing that I have ever witnessed. I was a financial professional in the industry of financial planning, tax management, estate, all that kind of stuff for over 20 years, and I've never seen anything like this. And I got to tell you, when we come back from the break, I'm going to share with you what happened to these people's lives, not just them, their family that was impacted, all the things that happened as it relates to this research survey that the IRS was doing. And what were they doing? They were trying to find the money. They're trying to find somebody that's not dishonest so they can put a little bit more money in the coffers. We'll be back and you can hear their damaging story. Welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham, and you're listening to Seth Leibson's show. I'm filling in for my good buddy, and hopefully he's having a fantastic day as well as I hope you are. So going into all the wild and crazy stuff that we've been talking about here, it is a time where you start to say, wow, is it really happening the way that it's happening? We went into the break talking about the IRS agents and and this notion of 87,000 new employees coming in. I mean, I... I have a hard time even comprehending the onboarding process for 87,000 people when they get approval. It's going to take time, and then the impact point's not going to be just now, but it's going to be over time, and they're going to start digging in and doing what they do. So going into the break, I was talking about this story with these good friends of mine and clients 
that had this research survey that they were approached by an IRS agent on the phone first, and then it became an incredibly intrusive audit, okay? They finally admitted that it was an audit. They, again, you have an attorney and a doctor, both smart people, both capable. Well, the husband thought, hey, you know, I'm a lawyer. I understand contractual law. I understand my rights and all this kind of stuff. I'm going to handle this out out of the box. So he starts cruising out. Well, the IRS agents, now remember, they have endless resources. They have their own lawyers. They've got documents and they've got time. And this is their job where he's running a practice. He's got to represent customers, clients. He's got to litigate. He's got to do a number of things. To keep the lights on, these people get to be independently focused on what they're doing with this individual and this family. So they start an audit process, right? And one of the first things you do is you look at assets and you look at the things, the way things are titled. They're looking at former tax returns. And now remember, they have not filed any taxes that created a red flag. There was nothing that like spiked an audit. They were randomly selected, these 1,300 people. So then what happens is, give you an idea, the wife had one of her accounts, she had a joint account with her mother. A joint tenants in common, nothing special. They just had this account together, and it was just like a what if something happened. So they're trying to be prepared if something happened to mom or and, and, or, and or the daughter, and they had this joint account or what have you. It was not a sheltering money. It wasn't a big account. It wasn't anything. But when the IRS identified that this mother was there, guess what they did with the mother? They started the IRS research survey with the mom. So they've got this family doing. Now they have another agent, agents assigned to this family. So now the mom's getting it. Well, guess what? The mom had joint accounts with her sister. So now they start into another family and so on. So they're literally the tentacles of the IRS are just reaching in. Now, again, endless resources, endless capabilities, endless people to dig and prod and to use every bit of your time and energy to do it. They don't have a mission outside of finding something, right? That's that's where this is all flawed, too, is instead of trying to just say, hey, that looks pretty good, they're digging in and looking for anything, any blemish to where they can say, oh, I found something. Maybe it's a two-buck thing, but they've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars whacking on you. So the original family, the doctor and the lawyer, remember I talked about him being a recovering addict for years and just accomplished so much and then back to law school and he finishes it, has these beautiful family, three young children, Wife's a physician. They've got things kind of going, right? And they're doing their thing. This starts to bring, pull the family apart. Financial stresses pull people apart anyway. This is beyond financial stresses. So I get a call from the wife, and she says, we need help. So I bring in one of the top CPA firms here in the state that knows the code, knows how to handle the IRS, and they dig in. They call back and say, we need an attorney. We need a tax attorney on this as well. So they get an attorney now. Now, they're, the CPA firm is not cheap. They specialize in what they do. They're digging in. They're making it happen. The law firm that comes in, same deal. And they're having to interact with the IRS every single day. So, again, you try to minimize your interaction with lawyers and stuff because it's billable. Same with the CPAs. You try to minimize the work you give them and do as much as you can yourself. So the husband was trying to do that, which is overwhelming the practice. And now the practice is starting to turn upside down and fail because he's spending so much time. His partners aren't liking this. Then he starts doing, you know, getting involved in this. You've got these other professionals that are trying the best they can to unwind what the IRS is winding up, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Long story short, they get to a point where they actually end up with a settlement, have to pay the IRS something for nothing, okay, after spending over $100,000 in legal and tax advice, and then the husband can't handle the pressure, so he disappears for a little bit, okay? 
And there's a corridor up in northern Phoenix or North Phoenix area that is just a bad area. Okay, it's it's just south of where I live, but it's a bad area. It's kind of commonplace for a lot of drug activity and such. And sure enough, he was found up there and he crossed the street when he was under the influence and got hit by a car, wasn't living at home anymore. And that ended his life and ended that family the way that they were. So here I don't have I'm not saying that all these IRS agents and these people that are going to be here are evil. The motivation here is going to be putting undue pressure on the American people in a way that's not genuine. It's not authentic. It's not a credible approach. It's going to be a hurtful, damaging, distrusting approach. And that goes back to this big government where they believe they know and they believe they should control and they believe they should tell. So anybody that steps out of line, now you're going to have these criminal investigation special agents carrying guns, IRS agents carrying guns, willing to use deadly force. They're going to have to be trained, right? They're going to be willing to serve and execute search warrants and be assigned dangerous times. And the fact that they say they've got to work a minimum of 50 hours a week and be on call 24-7, what state of mind are a lot of these people going to be in? And what are they paying them? I didn't even look up the pay. But look at this. This is where we're headed here. So when we start thinking about freedom and this word liberty, right, you understand all the aspects that are wrapped up into the word liberty, this freedom, the real word of freedom should be liberty, right? We should talk about this way. When you see about this and you start to see how the government's going to encroach on every aspect that they possibly can, our, our free enterprise market that was once let's say 80-90% government wasn't involved, now it's over 50% is controlled. Our free markets are controlled here in the U.S. by the government. That's the financial services sector, the healthcare sectors, some of the tech sectors, you name it. It's just slowly consuming everything, and we're letting it happen. And that's one of the biggest challenges. That's why when we get lawmakers in place, you hope that they have the sophistication to learn, Okay, the experience to, to, to just jump right in and make it happen. And they have people around them that are willing to pick up and have a fight. Right. I'm not talking about carrying a gun and threatening somebody, but I would suggest to you that when people battle, you've got to battle with words. You've got to battle with strategy. You've got to battle with credible evidence. You've got to battle with integrity. And then people will start to follow you. Early on in the first hour, I talked a lot about this unification of party and purpose. And when we have people out there wearing hats that say Rhino Slayer, they are not the unifiers. They are not the one that are going to promote victory for the Republican Party. If any of you are listening to this and you want to call in and tell me about your strategy to purge the Republican Party of rhinos, I'm curious. I'd love to hear your perspective because no one to this point has been able to convince me that there's anything worthwhile there. All it does is we shoot like a circling, circular, a circular firing squad. We just shoot at each other, take everybody down, and we make it easy for our enemies to move on because we spend time, money, energy, emotion fighting each other where we agree on most things, believe it or not, but we just can't get past this whole rhino thing. And we forget that the progressives are doing the happy dance all around us with their blue hair, drag queen, alternate lifestyle. High taxation, big government, gender chaos that's happening right now, and it's a cultural assault on our children and everything that's important to us. But you'd rather wear a hat and call yourself a rhino slayer. So call me and help me understand how you would do it without destroying everything else we care about.
Welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham, and you are back to 960 The Patriot here. And I threw down the challenge to many of our listeners out there. And here's the deal. The the challenge is uh, we focus on these rhinos, supposedly Republican in name only, and then we take our eye off the ball of the battle that matters the most. And I, and I will share, we've, we've got your holding here and I'm, I, I'm look forward to speaking with him a little bit about it and just hear his perspective as it relates to it. Again, I will always challenge perspective and I hope for an honest intellectual discussion here, but the reality is I've been around a lot of winning elections and I've, I've been a part of hundreds of winning elections. And I can tell you there are some formulas that are definitely good for success here. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you so much for taking my call. I appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for calling in. I, uh, I wholeheartedly agree with your perspective about making sure that you prioritize and you triage where you spend your political capital. Uh, but I think it's important to remember that it is the so-called rhinos uh, that enabled so much of what we're seeing today. It was rhinos like Lindsey Graham that said that they would have loved a Merrick Garland as a Supreme Court nominee and voted uh, to um, and to bring in uh, what we just saw happen mm-hmm. to Donald Trump a few days ago. It was rhinos like McCain that uh, provided the decisive vote uh, during the uh, famed health care battle a few years ago. It is rhinos uh, that essentially give you the old adage with Republicans like these, who needs Democrats? And so, so, while so let me ask you a question, because <clears throat> in so many ways, I agree with you. This is it. So let me let me differ, differentiate a little bit. OK, so where you've got these individually talked about with like Lindsey Graham and John McCain and what have you, they're elected officials. Right. So the people, the base elects them. So when I think about a primary election, first and foremost, this is where it starts. Right. So when I was chairman of the Arizona Republican Party, the chairs kind of step out or they should step out of the primary and let the base do it. You facilitate honest discussion and what have you, and they go out and they shake it up. And so the base, which which I look at the base as our grassroots, I look at it as our voting Republican base and what have you. They need to be motivated and convinced to vote for the right person. I'm with you. So if you can put somebody's history on parade, their voting record on parade, you can demonstrate what they've done. The idea is to resource it. So you get the best possible people elected in a primary pushing into the general election. And people say, well, they have these machines and they have it, whatever. There are so many people motivated and they're a conservative movement that if somebody could stand there and get them to unify, then they would start to point in the right direction and start to eliminate these people. So the voting part of it. The other part of it, when I said two parts, is on the the like you have like um, all these we, we had 11,000 precinct committee men in our state. And I would say that there were multiple factions within the state. And what we found is when we put them to work, stuffing envelopes, making phone calls, doing things like that, they got along with each other because they were pointing toward a mission. In the general election to have good outcomes and they didn't extinguish each other. They didn't work to purge each other. But when they don't have things to do, that's where we go. Instead of saying, hey, you know, I need to really stop this movement, in the school board or stop this senator or move this person into a different place. So I'm with you on that. But I just I just you know, you talk about political capital. It's life capital, right? When you put your time, energy, money into something like this. And so I'm curious, you know, I mean, do you understand my differentiation between the two? Yes, I do. And I think that's an excellent point. Uh, But I think where I may beg to differ is you're highlighting the 
civic part of the process, where I'm highlighting the cultural and ideological part of the process. So the left, for example, the left puts every every one of its, let's just say, member, everyone that's in that ideological camp through a purity test. And you, ha- you cannot fail that purity test. Uh, the right doesn't do that. We essentially tolerate so much deviation. I mean, you and I both know that the truth is that many, many Republicans are really just Democrats, but no Democrats are secretly Republicans. And so we're the ones who are constantly disappointed by saying, boy, how is this that we've got, you know, you got a guy like Richard Burr who's insider trading. There's no, there's no recompense. There's no, nobody ever gets and says, you know what, you guys are going to be booted from our ranks. We don't do that. We, we ingratiate ourselves to a Bill Maher, for example, who has one good thing. He says one nice thing about COVID and then conservatives rush to say, hey, yeah, we, and we pat them mm-hmm. on the back. The left, meanwhile, is busy providing purity test after purity test. And unifying and around their you message. fall in line, yep. that's correct. And unifying around a message where the message should be now that there shouldn't be a conversation about 2024 unless somebody forms a, a cabinet-level position to, have, to be a revenge czar. Exactly. I mean, we, they're playing hardball. And we're busy playing with we're not, we're not even so, on the field with them right now. We're not on the field. Correct. And so we come correct. back from the break. We're heading into a break right now. But I want to I want to pick up on this a little bit when we come back from the break, because I think it's critically important. You talked about civic and this cultural war, which I agree. But let's talk about how the two work together, because this is I want to share a couple of examples from the 1416 election and the quality of the candidates that came about later. And it's pretty remarkable when you do things and actually demonstrate power. So we'll be right back after this break. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We are back at the Seth Leibson Show, 960 The Patriot. We've been talking about the best way to get the right people elected and to try to make sure we get real people elected. I mean, you look at the Republican Party platform. If somebody would actually spend the time to read it, it's pretty remarkable. There's depth. There's platform dynamics. There's a there's a part of conservatism doesn't show up there because you've had people that will push it one way or the other. But the basic premises are great values and principles, and they're great values and principles to govern with. We're talking with Yair here. We just called in, and it's been a great discussion. We've been talking about this whole notion of rhino, people that are Republicans in name only that are elected and maybe really aren't even Republicans. I've actually had lawmakers in our state, and I won't tell you who they are. They're still very visible people that have told me. The only reason they ran as a Republican is because where they live in the state was the only way to get elected. And I got to tell you, if I named these people, you would be astonished, okay? But I just can't get myself there to drop that nuclear bomb because it's the wrong time. But it will come out one way or the other. But to that point, I have a friend named Jair, so I'm sorry I um, just said Jair. But Jair, you had talked about this civic versus cultural and social. So here's the deal. When you start talking about cultural and social impact on our communities and everything that's happening here, I agree that that's a battle. But if somebody's in power, they're an influencer, okay? And when they're an influencer, because they got elected to that point, then that's where you start to see this cultural and social shift because they have a voice, they have the megaphone, they do a lot of things that are happening there. So I keep going back to the election cycle. In 2014 cycle, we crushed, okay? We had a very fundamentally strong base. We had good messaging. We did what we did, okay? I would not say that every person was a perfect person, but the job of the, the Republican Party chair and the party is to get all all the nominees elected. We say, okay, we trust the voters. We're going to get our nominees elected as we go forward. 
But what happened is we were able to position the party in a way that demonstrated support, backing them up, helping them, or what have you. The next cycle in 2016, the quality of candidates that came about were head and shoulders better than anything we had had. Okay, they were real conservatives. They were really willing to step out and do these things. I sat at a table, my family talking the other night, and multiple people in this family would be great candidates. They said they didn't like anybody. They didn't. They think the quality of everybody is just terrible. Same kind of conversation where they just really weren't conservatives and doing it. And gosh, I'd hate this stuff. And then my wife said to her father, "Why don't you run? Why don't you guys get?" And they all, oh no. They hate the fight. They hate all this stuff. But if they have support and such, we may find our way to having great people. But they don't want to go to a freaking LD meeting and be called a rhino when they haven't even opened their mouth yet. Okay, because they were invited by somebody that somebody didn't like one thing they said or did. And so that's that's part of it that I'm getting to, too, is we can't even execute on the civic. So we're never going to be able to change the cultural social if we don't if we can't have some way to lever real power in their minds is going to be influencing the outcome of the elections is how you get these people out of office and get them to pay attention to you. So anyway, hope hope all that makes sense. I want to make sure I get to Charles here, too. And I appreciate you for calling in. That was awesome. And I and I hope to talk to you again. I'll be here tomorrow as well. We've got Charles from Phoenix. Charles, how are you, sir? Uh, here's the dilemma I see, which looks to me like it's almost insurmountable. You have the conservative side, which always plays by the rules, generally as a general rule. You play by the rules. The other side has no problem with lying, cheating, mm-hmm. and stealing, and they're becoming more and more brazen about it, as you see with the Mar-a-Lago. And pretty soon, it looks to me like that they're going to continue. How it, it looks to me like it's almost in short of armed conflict, and I, I, I literally mean that. I, I don't oh, know how... Look at you get IRS uh, agents that are that have to agree that they're willing to pack and use deadly force. I don't think it's short of armed conflict. I think they're positioning for real rebellion from the people here, okay? So I, I think you're right on, actually. So, and the, yeah. And the, and the disadvantage, of course, the people have is... Lack of communication and organization and all that, whereas the other side has all of that and can leverage all that. It looks, I, you know, I, I think the only way really is that everybody has to get back to God, and that's a long shot. It, but, it is. And I doubt. But, you know, you, you heard the last caller, and one of the things that he said is something that I have said multiple times, and I believe, is he said, look, you know, he, he was talking about wiffle ball versus baseball, you know, as far as the comparison. They're playing baseball, we're playing wiffle ball. And I had mentioned that we're not even on the same field. Look, if you if you look at a contest, let's say it's a football game, a soccer game, it's lacrosse, whatever it is, baseball. If you don't show up on the field, you're just going to get decimated. The Republicans have made this um, culture within the party, the selected culture, where they're just like milk toast, mediocre, don't take a stand. I don't know how many times I heard people say... Well, I can't govern if I don't get elected. So then they just straddle the fence and they never do anything meaningful. And it's terrible, right? We've all heard it. But the reality is Trump comes along and starts thumping on people. And people go, wow, we kind of like this, right? You know, this is, you know, for some people didn't like him being nice. That's why one of the reasons he lost. But if you look at it and they say, gosh, you know, this guy really just kind of shook it up. We want people to be fighters. But in order for us, and we can still follow the rules and do it. 
you got to take the gloves off. You know, I, I mean, I, I played hockey my whole life. And when you got in a fight on the ice and really got in a fight and you got the helmets off, people drop their gloves, right? Because the, it's going to hurt a lot more when you get punched in the face with bare knuckles, right? And it is, um, and that's, that's where they were. They dropped the gloves way before we did, okay? And they're willing to fight. And they get to the point where you were, um, uh, Yair said this as well, that there's, and you said this, they will lie and do things. There's a great book called The Stranglehold. It talks about the impact that unions have had on jobs, the economy, what have you. And in there, one of the union leaders, I think it was Trompka, the AFL-CIO, says, we know that basically we lie and we break the laws and we do this, but we realize nobody's going to really enforce them or come back to us after the elections. They just kind of disappear. People lick their wounds and go away where we have to hold people accountable all the way through this entire process. But you're right. We have to not we just have to be prepared to fight the fight the right way. But you have to have a team to do it. And that's where you said it as well. They've been able to unify around a specific message and hold people accountable. We have to have a process of doing that, but we have to win elections and show people that these candidates that are good candidates will have support to become the nominees and then hopefully the elected official for us. Hey, Bob, I'm going to slip off to Charles here. Real, or Excuse me, Charles, I'm going to slip off to Bob. And uh, But thank you very much for calling in. Bob, Robert Graham here. How are you doing? Uh, I'm a little bit upset with that uh, baited not telling us and thinking we aren't responsible enough to handle who those people are that you uh, say were supposedly rhinos and the only reason they um acted like they were republicans it's so they, they get elected get in yep yeah i, I think got... that's a little uh misleading to us and uh I, I i quite frankly i wouldn't have expected you to say that and i also in my past previous uh dealings with the uh uh va during all that boondoggle that yeah. uh, McCain was handling, I met him several times, and and I knew who what kind of a guy he was. So I we don't have to get into that. But believe me, I never voted for him again. Yep. Well, this is bad. That's back to you being a high information voter. And I apologize if I've upset you. But again, and maybe I should have said it, so I, I should have said it. But, you know, this is this is the reality is we have a volatile time right now. And my goal is to unify versus separate. And I don't want to drop an A-bomb right in the middle of a general election. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham, and we're in the wrap-up here for the last three hours. Thank you very much for tuning in. You know, and, and the goal always is to get some conversation going. And I appreciate those callers that called in today and shake it up a little bit. I mean, here, here's the reality is we, we have um, a responsibility to do a lot. And we look at this United States of America and it's so big. It's such a big opportunity. It touches the world in so many different ways. It becomes that great light, right, that we've talked about where people look at and they say freedom and they say, I want the American dream. Uh, I have this horrible habit of watching that show, America's Got Talent. And and right now you see that half the acts are from different places around the world. Here's America's Got Talent. They've got people out of the world. And when you ask them why they're there, they say they want they. it's the American dream. 
the biggest stage in the world. They want to be there and they want to have success. So there's still so much around the world that have the vision of what Americans can be and the outcome that we can have. I'm so tired of the apologetic American, which is the Joe Bidens of the world, the Kamala Harris, the Obama apology tour, all this, where people just say, you know, enough's enough. America's too good. Well, the reality is it's good because we have freedom and we trust the individuals. We believe in people and the value of accomplishment that I talked about before. And so it's our job to make sure we engage in a meaningful way so that people can have great outcomes. Look, candidates, people are on the sideline and they say it all the time. I've heard them say, I could do a better job than that person. I think I could do a better job than that person. There's an ego element to running for office that has to be there because you got to believe that, number one, that you can do better. And then you got to believe that you can inspire people to bring them around. Again, it's around those fundamentals of jobs, opportunity. How do you help people be prosperous? Can you educate them? Can you help them with health care? Can you provide an environment that will help them? Yes, maybe. Maybe one person in Congress out of 435 or one senator out of 100 may not or may be, but they become an influencer and they can, if they have courage and they're willing to put together a credible message to the people that can relate to them. Not so logical that their brains fall out because they're not interested, but bring it and make it intimate and personal to them. Then people relate and they believe and then they stand tall. So we have these callers that talk about the rhino dynamic or these Republicans that are fake conservatives and what have you. The way you get them out is by finding candidates and getting behind them and giving them as much support and effort that you possibly can. Tomorrow I'll talk about a couple elections where the unknown won. The people without the money win because they had the best ground game and the best support and the best people in very high-profile races around this country. So again, you can do much more than you can imagine. And it's our job to watch behavior, to unify people, bring people together, to be the messenger of this, and teach people the purpose and the most important mission on earth is to protect our country through these great moral, conservative, virtuous principles that we call conservatism. And that's where we find and keep and protect our freedom. If we don't, it'll slip away from us and we will lose the battle. So join me on the battlefield and I'll join you and I'll be there with you and we can fight together to have the best outcome for our country. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great night, everybody. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com